Gospel of John today, the 11th chapter, very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 11. Good to have Brother Robert back in the house of the Lord. Amen. He got sick. Let me tell you, a lot of us got sick. I was sick. My wife is still recovering. And so uh, stay healthy. Amen. Uh, Wash your hands and just be blessed. Be blessed. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And uh, everybody ready? Book of John, chapter 11, and verse number 34. Say amen when you got it. Amen. Amen. Uh, All right, here we go. And uh, 1134, let me see my, my screen showing. Okay, here we go. And said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Next two words say Jesus wept then said the Jews behold how he loved him and some of them said could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave it was a cave and a stone lay upon it Jesus said take ye away the stone Martha the sister of him that was dead saith unto him Lord by this time he stinketh for he hath been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew, everyone said, I knew. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments this morning on this, sub- on this subject. Don't let what you know, don't let what you know take away your passion. Don't let what you know take away your passion. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and it is anointed. I pray, God, that you would bless me to be able to speak and bless your people, to receive the word, to apply the word, to be blessed by the word, to be strengthened and encouraged. God, I pray that you would open up our ears and our understanding. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. If you're not familiar with this chapter in John's Gospel, in John's Gospel, it is, in short, the account of a man named Lazarus who had become very ill. Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And from everything we could see, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very good friends with Jesus. Many theologians and biblical scholars believe that they were extremely supportive of his ministry and that they were very wealthy. Lazarus gets sick, we don't know of what, and he dies. 
they call Jesus and they ask him to come during the sickness, and Jesus does not show up. And Lazarus has to go through uh, this valley of the shadow of death. In the 34th verse, what we are reading or what we are seeing is the beginning of a miracle. It is a miracle. Uh, And it is perhaps one of the most well-known miracles of all of the Gospels. And it attracts a lot of attention. And there's several reasons for this. Uh, One of the reasons is because it goes into great detail regarding all the people involved. Many of the miracles that Jesus performs throughout the Gospels, you will notice that it often does not give detailed information. It will say that Jesus healed a blind man, and that's all you know. It will say that Jesus healed uh, a widow's son. But it does not necessarily always give you names and places and all this other information. Well, this one is not like that. Um, It's letting you know who all the key players are. It's letting you know exactly what happened and to whom and even where. And so given the rich amount of information, uh, students of the Bible are very attracted to this particular uh, miracle. Uh, There's another reason that it's a very attractive story. And that is because Jesus is resurrecting somebody from the dead. And if there's one condition that's never been curable, it's death. Um, There's just about, I I could, um, I think the deadliest disease uh, known to mankind as as we stand is is rabies. uh, At least fully developed rabies. Uh, The mortality rate of you getting fully uh, developed rabies is zero. But there are like one or two people that have survived a rabies bite, <clears throat> fully developed. And so we see that in our world, there are several diseases. Even, uh, I'm sure, I know for a fact, there's people walking around that had stage four cancers. And the doctor said goodnight. And they're out eating a hamburger somewhere right now. And they just, they just made it. But you don't know unless you know. But uh, death is, you probably don't know anybody that was brought back from the dead. And so... Uh, I do know one person that was brought back from the dead. All right, David knows somebody. It happens. It, it, it does happen. Amen. 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 I believe it, and I've seen it. And so um, here is one of the most notable and amazing miracles known to mankind. Somebody is brought back from the dead. But there's another reason that this 11th chapter is very, very uh, well known to just about anybody. And it's for a rather funny but very true reason. It has the shortest verse in all the Bible. It has, and, and if you've never been able to memorize a Bible verse, today is your day. And uh, that verse is, Jesus wept. Two words. Let's all say that together. Jesus wept. You just memorized the verse. If you forget that, we're praying. Praise God. Amen. And so it has... Uh, one of the shortest verses in all the Bible, Jesus wept. But given the, the brevity of this verse, uh, it causes a lot of people to never stop and think about how significant it is that Jesus wept. Now, most people would say, I've always considered Jesus to be a sensitive, passionate person. But the truth is, that is a rather modern idea. Um, The people that are in this text that lived now over 2,000 years ago 
were shocked that he was crying. Even up until modern times, many theologians, you may or may not know this, were very bothered with any scriptures that talked about Jesus weeping. And there's not many. There's only three. Uh, Jesus wept in the garden. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And Jesus wept for Lazarus. Now, we all know that Jesus probably wept every day. Um, If you've ever lived with all your heart for God, you know crying comes easy. Praise God. It just... You just do it all the time. And, um, but a lot of theologians saw Jesus as this kind of Victorian age, stiff and starchy, stoic person who, didn't ne- who just never cried. In fact, there are Bibles floating out there still in circulation uh, that will remove those verses where it says that Jesus would weep because they just felt that it was really beneath him. But we know differently. We know that Jesus, amen, is a passionate man. We know that Jesus had no problem with weeping. Now, what is also uh, somewhat bothersome is that when we hear about Jesus weeping, and in particular in this chapter, we tend to narrow our, our, our interpretation as to why he wept. If I were to ask you, why do you think Jesus is weeping? Almost all of us, and even I myself, Uh, prior to really reading through this a little slower, uh, would have told you, because Lazarus died. His friend just died. That's why he is weeping. And surprisingly enough, even the people that saw Jesus weeping said, man, he really loved his friend. And that's why he's weeping. But can I suggest to you that Jesus was weeping for more reasons than that? Can I tell you that Jesus' heart was a lot bigger than that. Can I tell you that Jesus' passion and compassion would cover a whole lot more than that? Was Jesus weeping for Lazarus? Absolutely. But you know who else Jesus was weeping for? His sisters, who are now totally devastated and shattered by the death of their brother, who is very important to them. They love him, and, and, it, and it destroys them to know that they may never see him again. And so Jesus is weeping for them. Jesus is weeping for his friend. But then there's another group of people that Jesus is weeping for, and that is the Jews. Because there's a door closing. Amen. Thank you. There's a door closing in their life. Amen. There is now the closing of the Old Testament that is slowly about to come upon these people. And nothing Jesus has done has gotten through to them. No miracle, no breaking of bread, no walking on water, and no healing of the blind, no raising uh, paraplegics uh, by the hand and making them walk. None of that, uh, amen, has turned their opinion around. None of that has made them to say, you know what, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, not the parables, not the profound insight and foresight, not the prophetic gifts, not the ability to read mail and pay for stamps. Praise God. Amen. None of that has changed them. They're they're just as hard-hearted as they've ever been. And now Jesus is weeping for his friend. Jesus is weeping for his sisters. And Jesus is even weeping for his own countrymen who he's not been able to turn around. And and, and in fact, Jesus' tears are well-placed because after he raises, spoiler alert, after he raises Jesus from the dead, amen, they get so mad after he raises Lazarus from the dead, they get so mad that they try to kill him again. Amen. Amen. Uh-huh. Amen. 
I mean, just think about this. Jesus performs a miracle right in front of their eyes, pulling a man out of the grave, not out of a wheelchair, not out of a convalescent home, amen, not out of the flu, not out of, not out of, amen, leprosy. He pulled him out of a grave. And they say, you know what, kill that man again. <laughs> they have a hard heart. And Jesus is weeping. And this is not part of this morning's message, but God help all of us to never stop weeping. God help all of us to always be able to be full of compassion, amen, and mercy, even for the hardest hearts. And I don't know, I just feel like I have to say this to somebody here this morning. I don't know who you've been praying for, but if your tears have been drying up, go back into the prayer room and keep on weeping. Maybe they don't listen, but keep on weeping. Maybe they're not coming to church, but just keep on weeping. Maybe it's been 20 years, keep on weeping. Maybe it's been 50 years. Keep on weeping. Maybe they're already in a convalescent home. Keep on weeping. Amen. Maybe, maybe, maybe they don't talk back. Maybe they're not all there. Keep on weeping. Amen. Maybe they told you, leave me alone. Just keep on weeping. I'm telling you, we have a God. We have a God that can break through, get through. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. But here's what I want you to know today. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus knew. Jesus knew Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. He knew that. In fact, when he's talking with Lazarus' sisters, he looks at one of them and he says, Thy brother shall rise again. And, and we read it, and I made you say it. Jesus told them, Father, I knew. In fact, at one point, it's probably one of the most Curious scriptures in the, in the Bible. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. <laughs> Go back and read it. He says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. He said, because God has chosen this opportunity, amen, to be glorified. And, and, and small commercial break here, amen. There are just times when that's how God stretches your faith. He says, you know what? I'm not going to do nothing when you think I'm going to do it. In fact, this thing is going to get really bad. In fact, it's going to get really dark. In fact, it's going to go all the way. But I want you to know I'm a God that goes past all the way. I'm a God that can do a miracle. Come on, somebody. In fact, I, uh, amen, the little, 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 I'm going to let you know pastor's mind here. But if pastor, God forbid, if pastor ever ends up in the hospital and the doctors say I'm dead, the only thing I request is that they let my wife pray for me a few hours before they pull the plug because God could just do it. And there's just times that's how God does things. Sometimes God just lets stuff go all the way. Amen. And if God lets stuff go all the way, amen, he's going to let stuff go all the way. But let me tell you something. God is actually not trying to give you bigger faith. God is not just trying to stretch your faith. God is actually trying to show you that the faith you have in him works in all situations. Hallelujah. God don't need God don't need to give you more faith and God don't need to make your faith bigger. Jesus said if you had faith the size of a mustard seed. Amen. Jesus it just takes a little bit of faith. The, the disciples asked Jesus, "Lord, increase our faith." He said, "That's not even the point. If you would just take what you got and put that on your bills and put that on your health and put that on your marriage and put that on your future and put that on your past and put that on everything you got. Amen. That little bit of faith works everywhere you put it. That 
that seed grows everywhere you plant it. That faith destroys. That faith moves mountains. Uh, that faith plucks up trees. That faith makes doors open. That faith makes other doors close. That faith talks to you in the middle of the night. That faith will wake you up in the morning. That faith works everywhere you put it. Oh, come on. Let's magnify Jesus. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that God was going to resurrect Lazarus. And uh, what is of particular interest to us this morning is the fact that Jesus wept knowing Lazarus would be resurrected. And why is that of interest? Because knowing the future did not stop Jesus from being emotionally engaged. Jesus knew what was going to happen down the road, but in the present, he stayed connected. I'm telling you right now, one of the hardest things to do is to get somebody to stay engaged and emotionally connected right here, right now, when they know that everything is going to be okay. Oh, it's it's easy to get people to tap in right here, right now, when the doctor said, you're going to die. We got some tests back. We need you to come back. Oh, everybody's praying then. Everybody takes it one day at a time then. Everybody makes the most of every second then. But what about when you don't have a bad report? What about when all you know is tomorrow we're going on vacation. The tickets are paid. It's going to be great. It's hard to get you. I mean, to think that some people think church is a great place to take a nap. I'm still preaching good. Amen. Some people really think this is a legitimate spot. Right here, right now, to just close my eyes for a bit. This is not a good place to take a nap. And if you do it, I'm going to get harder chairs. Amen. And we're going to turn the AC up really, really high. Praise God. This is not a great place to take a nap. Amen. Because there's something going on right here, right now, in your life that's connected to God, that's connected to everything, and it matters. And no matter what you know about the future, don't let it take you out of right here, right now. If Jesus could weep big tears knowing Lazarus was still going to come out of the grave, we should be able to still give God big praise knowing that he's got good things for us right here, right now. Oh, come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Amen. Nothing we know about the future. Everyone say nothing. Nothing we know about the future should stop us from being passionate right now. Nothing we know about the future should stop us from being emotional right now. Nothing that we know is going to happen one day because of God's favor, grace, and benefits should stop us from being passionate, emotional, engaged, connected right here, right now. Nothing that's coming down the road that's good should stop us from being good to God right here. And right now, nothing that we know that's going to, amen, tip in our favor should stop us from being full of praise right now, from being full of worship right now, from being full of love right now, from being full of mercy right now. Come on, somebody. Amen. We know, look at your neighbor, say, we know. We know that our sins have been forgiven. And we know, look at your neighbor, say, we know. And we know that that has future benefits. I know that. I know there is no doubt in my mind that the day my sins got forgiven, that has future benefits. 
There is no doubt in my mind that having my sins forgiven, the Bible says this about sinners and saints. It says that when you don't have your sins forgiven, it says your sins go after you. It says, but to those who have their sins forgiven here on earth, their sins go before you. And you know what that is saying? It's saying when, when your sins go before you, Brother Daryl, when your sins go before you here on earth and you confess and you get baptized and you put your faith in Jesus and you get the Holy Ghost and you get plugged in, you know what happens? All of a sudden your sins go before you. Amen. God says, you know what? I already dealt with that. And when you die and you meet Jesus, God says, there ain't no record up here. There ain't no record up here. There's no archives up here. We don't. In fact, the Bible, the Bible says that baptism is the act of putting on Christ. And that's why when Cameron Parker dies, Jesus, Jesus don't see Cameron Parker up in heaven. He sees a man clothed in Christ. Amen. This is, this is why when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing God did was he slew an animal, which I believe was a lamb. And he put that skin on Adam and Eve. And now God saw more of that dead animal than he saw Adam and Eve. Amen. He saw those animal skins more than he could see that human flesh. That's exactly what happens. That's a type of the death of Christ. When Jesus Christ dies and you enter into the plan of salvation... The scripture says you put on Christ. The scripture says to be clothed with Christ. And, and when I die and I stand before God, he don't see me. He don't see Monique, Jessica, Jamie, or, or uh, Linda. He sees Jesus, his beloved son, in whom there is no... Come on. That's what we call justification. Come on. It's a good thing to serve Jesus. It's a good thing. I, I am I, I, I I'm not I'm not trying to create a us versus them thing here right now, but I want you to know that I, I have had the misfortune, as some of you have, to walk into churches and meet people. Let's just let's keep it real. We have been people. We have been people that have taken our salvation for granted. Come come in here acting so saved. Let me tell you something, you start acting too saved, you're lost. Pro tip. <laughs> you just give you a little. You start acting too saved, you are lost. And, and, and we've all been there. You meet somebody who's just taken their salvation for granted. They walk into the church, sit on the chair, and, and are, can't wait to get out. Because they think, you know what? It's all been taken care of. Jesus died on the cross. Everything I did is gone. And I'm just kind of here because pastor asked me to be here. I'm just kind of here because my mom, my mom got a drug problem. She always, she drugged me to church ever since I was little. Praise God. And you got, you got, <laughs> you ought to thank God for your mom's drug problem. Praise God. <laughs> but you got folks that take this stuff for granted. Not realizing. Not realizing that no matter what awaits you in the future, that's not an excuse to turn off your emotions right now. No matter the good things that God has prepared for them that love him, should stop us from loving him right now. Should stop us from being emotional right now. Should stop us from being excited right now. Should stop us from being faith-filled right now. Should stop us from being passionate right now. Amen. Come on, somebody. Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We know that we have received the gift of God's Holy Ghost. 
we know that we have received the Spirit of the Lord and that that has future benefits. You are going to be resurrected one day. Your body will be resurrected one day. You know, I always crack up at atheists. They say, you, you, you really want us to believe that people can be raised from the dead. I say, you really want me to believe that all of creation came out of nowhere. Same thing. Yes, I believe that God can take nothing and make something. I believe that God can reach in to the darkest holes of material and bring out a creation. And I believe that God can take a dead body and bring it back to life and clothe it in incorruptible spiritual flesh. Amen. Flesh that has no more disease, no more degenerate qualities. Flesh that we're talking about God. We're not talking about the water boy. We're not talking about the president. We're talking about God, maker of heaven and earth. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. As is, in fact, your body right now testifies of the resurrection. Your liver can regenerate itself. Your skin regenerates itself. Your body regenerates itself every seven years. Your body right now testifies of a resurrection. As is right now, amen, there are things that your body does that are regenerative, amen. That's why doctors know, you know what, this is going to take a while. But give us some time because somebody designed this thing to resurrect itself. Am I telling the truth, Sister Monique? I'm telling the truth. She a nurse. She knows I'm telling the truth. I'm telling you right now. Your body already testifies of the resurrection. And there's coming a day, sweetheart, when God is going to resurrect the whole thing. It's it's not going to just be a regenerative organ. It's going to be a regenerated body. And that's exciting. But we ought to get that, that, that which is going to happen one day in the far future, should not stop you from being excited right now. It should not stop you from being connected, emotionally engaged, passionate, amen, about the things of God right now. Come on, somebody say amen. We know that this book right here got future benefits. Man, let me tell you something. If you've not been through a trial yet, it's coming. And let me tell you something. When it gets here, because it's on its way. That's, that's the word of the Lord for you. It's on its way. This book, if you'll open it, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what it is to have a trial so intense that you've you got to tell your mind to just, your mind is just won't stay still. And the only thing you could do is just read Psalms. And the only thing you could do is just copy Proverbs. And the only thing you could do is just memorize. He wept. (laughs) Jesus wept. I'm misquoting the scripture already. And you know what it is to say, you know what, God? I don't even want my brain to work right now. I need this. And you know what it is. All of you here know what it is to open up this book and see a verse that was written thousands of years ago. And hear the whisper of God's spirit tell you, that's for you right now. And And all of a sudden... You walk through the valley of the shadow of death on a text. This this thing's got future benefits. Let me tell you, when you are going through the worst trial of your life, this book right here is going to help you. But don't let that stop you from reading it right now. Don't let, don't let the goodness of this book stop you from reading it every day right now. Don't let the promises and the blessings of this book down the road keep you from parking right now on it. 
So now I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach now. I told you what we're talking about. But now I want to talk to you about how to apply this to your life. Number one. Because some of you are probably thinking, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of emotionally drained right now. I hear what you're saying. But you know what? I got this thing going on. And it's muting my emotions. I don't want it to, but it is. Pastor, I got this situation working in my life right now. And it, it, it's got me drained. So what do I do? Number one, free up your emotions. How do you do that? There are things taking away from your ability to be passionate. Whatever those things are, start working on getting free from them. You, your emotions can only go in so many directions. It's, if Facebook has a big chunk of your emotions, shut it down. Mark Zuckerberg don't love you anyways. And I don't care how long the list is, they ain't your friends anyways. And if, and if, they, and you might think, pastor's kind of being overboard. They have proven, they have proven that just 10 minutes on Facebook leaves people more depressed. This is not just me just spitting stuff up here. This is facts. If social media, if social media, I, we have a young lady, I won't, you, many of you don't know her, but we have a young lady here who is very strict about her social media presence because she had a situation that arose in her life where, where the whole thing turned on her. And you know what? I'm proud of her for doing that. I'm proud of her for at her age recognizing, you know what? This stuff can be kind of toxic. And she, and she wants to be passionate about God, but she knows she can't share those limited amount of emotions with Facebook and Jesus. I'm not telling nobody here to get off Facebook. But if you're more in love with Facebook than you are with Jesus, you might want to consider a break. If you check Facebook before the book, That, just if you got toxic friendships and relationships, free yourself up. I will be your friend. If you need to replace friends, I'll be your friend. Brother Robert will be your friend. Brother Cameron got time to be your friend. He he's got a kid coming in. He did but he got time. We will be your friends. But, but get cut. don't be afraid to walk away from a relationship. If you're going 10 years and it's still not working, it ain't going to work. Amen. Don't be afraid to say, you know what? This is not working. I know we got the, last name, the same last name. This is not working. I, I know that, I know that we, we have a long history, but this is not working. I ha, you know what? This is not working, and guess what? I only have a limited amount of joy, and I can't give it to you. Because I want to be passionate about my God. I want to be passionate about the people in my church. I want to be passionate about winning the lost. I want to be passionate about those in need. I want to be, and not down the road, but right now. And this is draining me. And this is draining me. Come on, you don't have, you, you don't have this unlimited amount of, of, of healthy 
positive emotional virtue. I don't know what else to call it. To just be giving it out everywhere. And you know what? Everybody wants it. McDonald's wants it. Facebook wants it. The world wants it. Toxic friends want it. Manipulators want it. The drug man want it. Pornography wants it. Adulterers and adulteresses want it. The devil wants it. Yes, this is real. Yes, yes, they want it. And you know what? You got, you got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got to put your seatbelt on. You got to bring things together and say, you know what? I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be passionate about the things of God. I'm, 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 I didn't come this far to be lost. I didn't serve God all these years to lose out. I, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be. Amen. The the testimony at the end of some preacher's sermon. I got saved to stay saved. I got stay. I got saved to go to heaven, and I'm not going to lose out. Here's what Hebrews 12 and 1 says. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so doth easily beset us. Notice that the writer there is making a difference between weights and sins. Not every weight is a sin, but sometimes you got to get rid of the weights too. Because they ease. And I'm not going to even preach to you about the sin part because you all have enough experiences to draw from to know. You know what? Sin throws me off. But what a lot of us struggle with are the weights. And if the devil can't stop you, listen, he is such a negotiator, he'll settle for slowing you down. He's totally good with that. He's totally good with that. If he can't get the whole hog, man, he's, he's totally happy with just half of it. If he can't get all of you, he's happy with just some of you. And so if he can't get you to sin, he'll just weigh you down. And the, and the writer here in the book of Hebrews says, get rid of the weights and get rid of the sin. And, 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 then, and then if you follow the next verse, it's powerful. He says, and let us run. Amen. He said, let us run. He said, if you're walking, this ain't walking season. Amen. This is running season. Amen. He says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. For, for, amen. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He suffered the shame. Hallelujah. He despised the shame. Amen. I'm telling you, when Jesus knew he had to go to the cross, he got rid of toxic friendships. At one, at one point, he even called Peter Satan. He said, Satan, get behind me. Amen. Trying to talk me out of this. I love you. I, I found you out there in those fishing docks. But if you get in the way, you got to go too. Amen. There's, you can't have, if somebody gets in between you and God, they're closer to God than you are. Amen. You got you to gotta be willing to move things. You got to be willing to move people. You got to be willing to get, I'm, I'm preaching good to you right now. I know Pastor Chip may not be preaching this down the street, but we preaching like that right here. Amen. Because I'm tired of people losing out with Jesus. You can't be lukewarm and make it to heaven. Listen, you want to know where Pastor Prado was when he got saved? I was at the tattoo shop. I worked at the tattoo shop. I had piercings all over my face. And you know what? When I told people I was coming to God, I can't tell you how many friends try to stop me. And then I can't tell you. I told some friends, I'm not living this life no more. I'm not doing no more drugs. I'm not going this route no more. I'm done. And, and you know what? There was, a, there was The first phase was easy. People said, oh, forget you. You're just religious. That phase was easy. It was the next phase that got harder. Because there were some people that were like, hey, we're cool with you doing that. But don't, don't, don't forget to just stop by once in a while. Don't, don't be a holier than that. Come on, man. My mom went to church her whole life. Just come on over. My mom will be here. You guys can talk scripture. 
He's still preaching good right now. Praise God. And there were some people, while I knew they meant well, and they were sincere. Listen, you could be sincere and sincerely wrong. You know, Brother Cameron, you know who got me in the most trouble in high school? Were my friends who told me, you can cut your freshman year. You remember those folks? You remember that lie? Come on, some of y'all flunked high school for that. Some of y'all ended up at continuation school over that stuff. You were like, cool, I could scratch off the first year. Who remembers that lie? It's still out there. That's fresh. To tell you, you don't have to worry about the freshman year. And before you know it, you're at continuation school. Because they told you, you don't got to drop out now. Just cut a little bit off right here. Stay focused and passionate. Number two, stay focused and passionate about you and your kids. I want you to listen to me. Luke 23, 28. Jesus has got Calvary's cross on his back. He's walking down the road. He's struggling. He's falling. 120 pounds strapped to his back. He's bleeding everywhere. He's got bones showing. He's got a crown of thorns on his head. He's swaggering. He's swaying. He feels like passing out every two seconds. And as, as he's reaching the top, a bunch of women surround him. And they begin to cry. And with what little bit of strength he had, he stops. He holds that cross. And in Luke 23, 28, he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And you see what Jesus is saying here is, you're crying, but my death is by design. I've, I've known about this because I'm the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. I knew I was going to die this way. You don't know how you're going to die. You are a creature subject to the inability to know the future. And when you do know the future, it makes you lukewarm in the present. And so Jesus says, don't weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your kids. Can I preach to you? If there's one thing you can never stop praying for is your own soul and the souls of your children. If there's, I don't care, I don't care if little Chucky is 50 years old. Amen. You keep praying for little Chucky until you and little Chucky are in heaven. Amen. We just don't stop praying for our children and we don't stop praying for ourselves. Listen, you listen to pastor. When we come to church, we come a few minutes early to pray. If you need to pray for yourself rather than for this service and for the blessings of God, I am okay with that. I want you to be saved. I don't think you're selfish for sitting over there in the corner, balling up, crying, saying, God, you know what? I didn't have a good week this week. God, I'm not where I need to be. God, help me. God, I yelled at my kids, and I don't want to ruin their perception of God. Amen. God, help me to get me and my family. You go ahead and pray like that. You, In fact, don't you ever stop praying like that. Amen. Because I want to be a good 
good witness, amen, to my kids, and I want to be a good witness to everyone around me. But in order to do that, I got I to gotta weep for myself, and I got to weep for my children. Hallelujah. Come on, we got a lot of churches that don't weep for their children. I don't, I don't care if we're talking about cute little Cute little Johnny, cute little Johnny, amen, has, 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 has original sin. We have to weep for our children. And can I add a caveat to that? Weep for your grandchildren. Weep for your children and weep for your grandchildren. And weep for yourself. Because that, that is what matters. I understand you're not happy about the car getting weep, repoed, but weep for you and weep for your children. I understand you really want to raise and you've been praying about it. Weep for you and weep for your children. I understand you got a lot of things on your mind and you're stressed out on the job, but don't ever let that stop you from weeping for yourself and weeping for your children. Please, I'm, I'm, I, if I, I'm, I hope. I hope to God that I can stir somebody here today to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for my kids every single day. I'm going to pray for them when they're little. I'm going to pray for them when they go to high school. I'm going to pray for them when they're walking down the aisle getting married. I'm going to pray for them when we're in the hospital room and bringing my grandchildren into this world. I'm going to pray for them, amen, to the day they die. And I'm going to pray unceasingly. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. No matter how well they're doing, I'm praying for them. No matter how many houses they own, I'm praying for them. No matter how many degrees they have, I'm praying for them. Amen. No matter how well things are going, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them when they're sick. I'm praying for them when they're healthy. I'm praying for them when they're little. I'm praying for them when they're old. I'm in a covenant relationship with my children. Amen. I'm in, yes, your children are part of your covenant relationship. They are connected to your marriage. They are connected to everything that makes you you. You've got to Pray for these kids. Amen. Don't stop praying. Come on. Amen. And I know I've preached long this morning. And I'm closing. Stay passionate about church. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Even the more so. As you see the future coming. You know, there's some people actually coming to church less because they think, man, this is about to wrap up. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus coming soon. Just not worried about it, Pastor. We got some rice and guns in case things get bad, but we're happy. We're tuning in on the podcast. I'll never forget Brother Cameron. And when Brother Cameron was actually one of the first people that we, we were seriously wondering how he found us. But Brother Cameron, I'll never forget the story. Now, he may need to clear it up for me, but it's going to sound good right now. Uh, <laughs> Brother Cameron said he was at home watching church. And he said the Lord spoke to him and said, it's time for you to get up and go to church. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. God, hey, guess what? God still tells people, get up. Yeah. Get out your house uh-huh. and go to church. Uh-huh. Because he's coming soon. You don't do the opposite. You, 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 you work with the rapture. You work with the second coming. You work with, amen, the apocalypse. You don't work against it. You don't work against it. And know this. First Peter, First Timothy 4. Know this. Paul starts off, he says, know this. 
He says, the Spirit speaketh expressly. So Paul starts off by saying, I want you to know something. I'm not just up here flapping my gums. This is God talking. He says, know this, that in the last days, seducing spirits. Seducing spirits. Spirits that tell you, you don't have to go to church all the time. I know people that go to church twice a week and they let the devil tell them, you don't have to go all the time. You ain't going all the time twice a week. That's not all the time. That's sometimes. Don't let the devil talk you out of twice a week. That's a real small amen. Don't let the devil talk you out of twice a week. It's just not that much. Thank you. Don't let the devil talk you out of twice a week. It's really not that much. I'm preaching long right now. We're, we're out of here. I got another service. You will be home eating. I will be here feeding. This is easy. Not only is it easy, this is good for you. This is not cotton candy. This is broccoli. This is not going to rot you out. This is going to help you out. This is what you need. Twice a week. Yes, twice a week. And sometimes three times a week if your marriage is in trouble. We need this. This is good for us. These are vital. This is foundational. This is, this is as Paul calls it, your reasonable service. The ESV says, your reasonable worship. Does this seem unreasonable? God says, I saved you from drugs. Got you, got, you, got you away from that crazy man, that crazy woman. You should have you died. You should have committed suicide. The car crash should have took you out. Here you are. And you're like, you know, God, twice a week's kind of heavy. We can't do that. And Paul says, in the last days, just know, there's going to be some slick-talking spirits. There's going to be some good-looking compromise. There's going to be some real smooth-talking hustlers that are going to tell you, I don't think that's that important. You don't know, like I know, what he's done for me. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Amen. Let's all stand. Praise God. Come on, let's lift our hands, and let's be passionate right now. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands and pray. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, come on. Jesus, I pray right now for your people, Jesus. And I pray that as we're praying together, that you would bring to their attention anything that's draining their emotions. And I pray that you would give them the strength today to release, to walk away from, to cut off any emotional drain.